Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. It's April 28, 2020. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. Today, back in the day, April 28, 1967, heavyweight boxing champion Muhammad Ali showed up in Houston for his scheduled induction into the U.S. Armed Forces, but he refused to step forward at the call of his name. He was warned that failing to step forward was a felony punishable by five years in prison and a $10,000 fine. On that same day, the Athletic Commission suspended his boxing license and stripped him of his title. Today on the local your Quick Six headlines, a look at the progress on ballot measures with Kate Kay, and an interview with Rich Vile, non-affiliated candidate for Secretary of State. I don't think we have uh, vetted all of the issues in a nuanced and thoughtful and long-form conversation way yet. We've been bound up in, in again, party politics. My goal would be to break through those party politics and really get to the nuanced conversation that's necessary to get good policy. To the X-Ray Fund Drive, we won't let democracy die in the distance, and we need you to keep going. Donate today at 503-233-9729 or xray.fm and click the blue donate button. First up, it's time for today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. Today is the deadline to register to vote in Oregon's May primary. That means it's your last chance to switch from being an unaffiliated voter to register with one of the major political parties, even if you want to do it temporarily. Oregonians who register to vote as members of a minor party or no party at all can still vote in city and county elections and on ballot measures, but you won't see Trump or Biden's names on your ballot nor the names of candidates for the legislature or Oregon Secretary of State or other statewide offices. The purpose of a primary is to nominate each party's top choice for the general election, so voters who aren't registered with any party don't get a say at this stage. Today is also the last day to give small campaign contributions to the city candidates who are running under the public financing matching system and have your donations match 6 to 1. Your daily dose of data. Confirmed caseload of coronavirus at 2354. Confirmed deaths at 92. National death toll at nearly 55,000 human beings. On Monday, over 2,200 people received coronavirus test results. It's the first day... That's the first time test results in the state have surpassed 2,000 in a single day. Nearly 350 more than the previous high of 1855. That happened back on Saturday. Meanwhile, the federal government has rolled out an expanded list of symptoms for the novel coronavirus. The CDC has added the following symptoms. Chills and repeated shaking from chills, muscle pain, headache, sore throat, and a loss of taste or smell. Symptoms may show up 2 to 14 days after someone is exposed to the virus. The CDC continues to say that fever, cough, and shortness of breath are symptoms. And shout out to New Zealand. They have reported beating coronavirus, at least for now, with only five current reported cases. Two new states have joined the Western States Pact. The Colorado governor and the Nevada governor today announced their respective states are joining Oregon, Washington, and California in that Western States Pact. It's an effort to coordinate regionally to control the spread of COVID-19. Under the pact, states commit to sharing their best practices regarding testing, tracking, and isolating. And Governor Kate Brown said the partnership is similar to how states work together during wildfire season. No word if Oregon, Washington, Nevada, California, and Colorado are angling to start a new nation. Burgerville laid off 612 employees. They had furloughed about 1,000 workers. They said that Boley, the Oregon Bureau of Labor and Industries, told them that any workers furloughed for more than 35 consecutive days must be laid off. So Burgerville is now laying off about 40% of its workforce. 
Senator Ron Wyden is calling for an extension of the expanded employment insurance benefits until unemployment drops. And Val Hoyle, the head of the Bureau of Labor and Industries, became the first elected official to announce staffing cost reductions. Management staff are taking one furlough day a month. Meanwhile, the Portland Assistance Program ran out of cash in minutes. About 20 minutes. The Housing Bureau had set aside enough money to provide 250 bucks to about 740 low-income households. By 10.30 on Monday, the city had received more than 1,000 applications. Street Roots, for example, had set up kiosks with social distancing measures in place. They had folks lined up by the 10 a.m. opening, and they got almost no one signed up. The Housing Bureau had set aside a million dollars in March for emergency household stabilization. 200000 was devoted to this cash assistance. 800000 is going to service providers who focus on culturally specific groups. The Oregon City Commissioners are standing with... The governor, and not with the mayor of Oregon City. Mayor Tim Holliday threatened to reopen businesses in violation of the governor's order. Attorney General Ellen Rosenblum let him know she'd take criminal and civil action if he went forward. And his commissioner said, we're not with that guy. Commissioner Rocky Smith said he has no authority to do so without support of the commission. He does not have that support, and he has never had that support. Oregon's jail population is down 45 percent, according to the Sheriff's Association. Fewer people are being arrested and coming into jails. In some cases, vulnerable people have been released. The majority of jails are providing single cells for each inmate. And so far, no inmates and county jails have, in fact, tested positive for the virus, but only a small number have been tested, a total of 17. At least four sheriff's deputies have either had the virus or being monitored and quarantined. This week, the Oregon Department of Corrections reported a spike in prison cases. A total of 25 inmates and staff have now tested positive. And the DOC has tested a little more than 60 prisoners. And in street racing news, two were arrested. Police offered no report on who won. And the Department of Encouragement, an Oregon State University researcher, says that vitamin C and D can strengthen the immune system to help the body ward off the coronavirus. They're advising 200 milligrams of vitamin C and 2,000-plus IU of vitamin D. I take 5,000 IU of the D. We don't always get a lot of sun around here. Shout out to TriMet, who is offering grocery delivery to paratransit lift riders. That's the real word left with an I, not the Uber rival. And shout out to Holocene and Gina Altamura, a.k.a. DJ Sirius Moonlight of X-Ray FM, for putting out a 48-hour music compilation contest going in. And shout out to X-Ray FM, who is offering free radio spots to businesses and organizations in need due to the coronavirus. Go ahead and submit to the local at xray.fm. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. I'm Jefferson Smith, and you, you're listening to The Local. Here's Emily Gilliland with what's next. Thanks, Jefferson. First step, ballot initiatives in Oregon plan to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars they hadn't expected to spend before the pandemic. X-Ray reporter Kate Kay spoke to Initiative Campaigns about how COVID-19 has raised the cost of gathering signatures to get on the ballot in November. A walk down any main street or visit to a grocery store in spring often means a greeting from a signature gatherer wielding a clipboard, but not this year. The pandemic puts up-close conversations or passing pens around to get signatures supporting ballot initiatives off limits. That's a problem for the 50 initiatives, referenda, and referrals that still technically could end up on the ballot in November in Oregon. They've got until July 2nd to collect thousands of signatures demonstrating voter interest. Rebecca Gladstone is president of the League of Women Voters of Oregon. 
what happens if, you know, we suddenly mostly or entirely are relying on distribution and return of e-petitions, especially when outreach is no longer standing in front of the grocery store or to your friends or to your organizational meetings. COVID-19 has led most initiatives approved to gather signatures to simply shut down. One big obstacle is you can't sign a formal Oregon ballot petition online the way you would like a change.org petition. You have to print out a physical copy, sign it, and mail it back to the campaign. But People Not Politicians is one of the few campaigns still dedicated to getting its voter districting reform initiative on the 2020 Oregon ballot. They need 150,000 signatures in total to do it. The group is planning a big direct mail campaign sending petitions to a sampling of registered voters, something they didn't expect to do before the pandemic hit. And it won't be cheap, said Norman Turrell, chief petitioner and chair of the campaign committee. Yeah, it's going to be hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a lot. That seems like a huge impact. This throws a huge wrench into your process. Oh, yeah, the whole pandemic thing is a huge wrench. Turrell said the group hopes social distancing will be lifted by mid-May or early June so the campaign can get back out on the streets collecting signatures. Another campaign that remains active is IP34, the Oregon Psilocybin Therapy Initiative. Yep. That's psilocybin, the hallucinogenic substance in psychedelic mushrooms. The initiative would create a licensed and regulated program for therapy using the substance. The Food and Drug Administration has deemed psilocybin therapy a breakthrough for treating depression and PTSD. So IP34 is in a mad dash to get across the finish line. The group needs to collect around 15,000 more signatures. Like the few truly active ballot initiative efforts still gathering signatures, the group is calling and texting supporters, asking that they download petitions from their website, sign them, and send them back to the campaign. For those who request them, the campaign will go so far as to send them petitions in pre-stamped envelopes. Sam Chapman is IP34's campaign manager. It's significantly more expensive to mail and directly chase people down who have downloaded the petition. We would much rather be collecting signatures on the streets from a cost perspective and from an efficiency perspective. That's just not an option right now. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed, hallelujah. Augustana Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland made a swift transition to socially distanced worship in mid-March. For live stream worship every Sunday, 10 but senior pastor Mark Knutson said the pandemic also halted signature gathering for three initiatives restricting firearms sponsored by Lift Every Voice Oregon, the faith-based coalition he chairs. That despite the fact that the Oregon Supreme Court in early April ruled to approve the group's initiatives after a fight from the NRA. Pastor Knutson. Uh, But because of COVID-19, we decided early on not to attempt to get signatures because we don't want to put anybody at risk. The multi-denominational group decided against a direct mailing effort. Not only do they not have the money, said Knutson, they worried about spreading coronavirus through printed mail. 
In the meantime, Lift Every Voice Oregon is training high school students on how to navigate campaigning during a time of social distancing. With our young leadership we have, to be a civic education. How do you, how do you run a How do you get signatures? And it's, the hands-on is such a great teacher for political engagement. Today, April 28th, is the last day to register to vote in Oregon's May primary. For X-Ray.fm in Portland, in Oregon, the first state in the U.S. to conduct elections exclusively by mail since 1998, I'm Kate Kay. Next up is an interview with Rich Vile, candidate for Secretary of State. Rich talks with Jefferson Smith about ranked choice voting, running as a nonpartisan candidate, and working across the aisle. Secretary of State's race was just mentioned. It's one of three constitutional offices. It is the second in line to the governor. Secretary of State is the auditor of public accounts. It's the chief elections officer is the administrator of public records. Rich Vile, former Republican lawmaker, recently resigned as the deputy secretary of state, and now he is running for secretary of state, but not as a Republican, as a non-affiliated candidate. Rich, welcome to X-Ray. Well, thanks for having me on, Jefferson. Who are you and why are you running? Um, I'm just a guy who grew up in Southern Oregon and uh, had the really good luck to get a good education, um, had a great career in, in law, and uh, decided that in the third trimester of my life, I, I wanted to get involved in public service. Um, I'm, uh, I, I'll tell you, after serving in the legislature, in fact, from the first day I served in the legislature, it became apparent to me that uh, party politics was the enemy to good policy getting done. And so now that's my my personal uh, campaign, is to do what I can about solving that problem. And that's a good jumping off for one of the more interesting things for us to talk about, is you were an elected Republican. You decide to run. There are a lot of people I know who assumed you were going to be a front runner for the Republican nomination for the Secretary of State's office, and you decide to run for non-affiliated as, as a non-affiliated candidate. I didn't say an independent candidate because independent is a party in our state. One way of looking at that is, well, there's right now more independent, more non-affiliated voters in Oregon than there are Republican voters in Oregon. So that could be it could just be sort of political uh, math analysis by you. But what was driving you nuts about Republicans or more specifically about sort of political party disagreement that drove you to leave your party? Well, from the first day I served in the legislature, the caucus process. Uh, really was difficult for me. Um, I, I often found myself at odds with my own caucus, and when I would have good conversations with members of the, uh, of the legislature that were not of my party and went to the floor thinking that we really had found some common ground, only to see the whip jump up and tap everybody on the shoulder and then have that vote go exactly down party lines, it became very discouraging to me. Uh, good, heartfelt, nuanced, thoughtful conversation about policy just wasn't possible because each side was so committed to making sure that they didn't do anything that would hurt them in the next election. What did you do about that while you were in the House? Oh, there wasn't a lot I could do other than be as uh, thoughtful as possible in the deliberations that I made constantly with both members of my party and the other party when I felt like I maybe could help 
uh, reach compromise. And uh, occasionally I cross the aisle to vote with the other side. Um, uh, and, and frankly, that was often difficult. What are a couple of examples of policy that you crossed the line on that you're particularly proud of? Or maybe more interestingly, anything you didn't, anything you voted alongside your colleagues in your caucus that afterwards you're like, you know what, I got hectored into doing that. I shouldn't have. Um, nothing comes to mind about when I should have crossed the aisle and didn't uh, off the top of my head. But I, 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 I am proud of the fact that I helped sponsor Tobacco 21 as a freshman legislator. Um, I did cross the aisle on a, on a gun bill. I'm actually a Second Amendment um, advocate, but uh, I felt like the boyfriend loophole was something that really should be closed. And so I did vote to, uh, to make it possible to take guns away from those that were uh, abusing a spouse or a girlfriend. When you, in addition to your significant growing questions around the wisdom of our two-party system and of uh, partisanship within legislative chambers, what differentiates you from a typical Republican? You know, if you're a listener now, maybe you live in Portland, maybe you live in the surrounding area, and you say, okay, is this, is this guy a Republican candidate running as a non-affiliated, or what makes him different from a Republican? Well, I, I think it's very important to... Um, for me to say that I'm not just a um, sheep in wolf's clothing running for the Secretary of State. I really did experience, both in the legislature and as the Secretary of State, the, the negatives of party politics. The reason I left the Secretary of State's office was because I was the presumptive Republican nominee for Secretary of State, and yet... Um, all that did was draw fire on an office that really has to be nonpartisan in its deliberations and its functioning. You, you can't have party politics play a role in elections. You can't have party politics play a role in, uh, in uh, public records. You certainly can't have party politics play a role in, in auditing agencies, uh, or you completely defeat the purpose of those, of those functions. So I'm a true believer. I am not um, uh, going to tell you that I don't lean one way or another on a variety of issues, but frankly, I do not understand how I could align myself with any party at this point because everybody's platform is incomplete and doesn't reflect how I really feel about things. No, and I and I, I think there are probably a lot of people like, listen, okay, so I'm supporting blank candidate. Let's say I'm you know supporting Joe Biden for president, but that doesn't mean that I define myself as an affiliate of the Democratic National Committee. Right? I can imagine a lot of people understanding that. I think they can understand that from Republican as well. And that still though begs the question, uh, leaves the question, what. Uh, on what policy areas do you find yourself throwing a biscuit at the television? And I don't just mean if the president says something stupid. I mean, and you already uh, clarified a little bit of your position on guns. Uh, I don't know if it's women's right to choose. I don't know if it's marginal taxation. I don't know if it's the scale and scope of the service of government. What are areas you find yourself disagreeing with Republican, with your Republican friends and colleagues? Well, um, elections is one. And, if we want to stick to the issues that really affect the Secretary of State's work, uh, I think that's a good one to talk about. 
many of my Republican friends think it would be a mistake to continue to uh, expand on uh, mail ballots, for example. I, I think we'll find even better ways than mail ballots to mail in ballots to make sure that every voter has the opportunity to access the ballot. Um, we we allowed, for example, while I was at the Secretary of State's office, a couple of counties to run the uh, mail and excuse me the um, as the absentee ballot online using blockchain technology to make sure that we had security there and uh, frankly that further access was something that uh, I'm not going to say Republicans I'm going to say perhaps the more conservative members of the party were not happy with I think we've got to do everything possible to make elections available to everybody and of course that's partly my problem right now I'm running uh, in a primary where I am actually not I don't get to participate in the primary everybody's going to get their voters pamphlet or has gotten their voters pamphlet and guess what they're going to open it up and the guy you're talking to on the radio this morning is not going to be in their voters pamphlet because unless you're a Republican or a Democrat you do not get to participate in the taxpayer-funded primary that's wrong and that's something that uh, that I intend to do everything I can to work on. Now, that may not be just Republicans that disagree with me on. Uh, so far, the Democrats have disagreed that they should open their primaries also. But that's a good example, I think. Let's talk about those nuts and bolts. How do you end up getting on the ballot? What does that look like? Well, I've only got two routes right now. Um, as a non-affiliated voter, I can get on the ballot with 20,000-plus signatures or with uh, a, a nominating convention where at least a thousand people gather in one place at one time, the Secretary of State certifies that they're all registered voters, and then they nominate. Well, obviously, in the COVID-19 environment, neither one of those are going to work. The only other way to get on the ballot is to be nominated by one of the minor parties. Um, I'm not a member of any minor party, but most people... Um, think of the independent party as really truly independent they don't think of it as a party even though you and I know it is so I chose to participate in the independent party primary which is open to anybody so you're going to see uh, online here I think starting tomorrow the independent party run a primary where if you're an independent party member or non-affiliated voter you can get on and vote in their uh, ranked choice voting process for who would be their nominee for Secretary of State. And I hope to be that nominee, of course. One of the other powers of Secretary of State's office that gets maybe underrated, underappreciated, is being one of three members on the state land board, meaning essentially it's the board of directors to decide what we do with state lands. What are the most important land board decisions that you see coming down the pike? And what indication can you give to people who care about the environment, who care about maybe timber unity, of where you would land on land board issues? The land board is actually one of the places that I really look forward to serving because uh, I did spend over 30 years as a land use attorney. And I have a lot of strong feelings about, uh, the again, the polarity that we're currently experiencing. One of the people that I like talking to about this issue is Jim Irvine, 
a former economics professor at PSU and formerly the the National Home Builders Association president. Jim's a, a well-known figure here in Oregon, but a very thoughtful guy when it comes to how we manage our forests. Um, certainly the, uh, the Elliott Forest issues are very, very important. Jordan Cove is very important. Can I tell you exactly how I would vote on those? No, because at this point, I don't think we have uh, vetted all of the issues in a nuanced and thoughtful and long-form conversation way yet. We've been bound up in, in, again, party politics. My goal would be to break through those party politics and really get to the nuanced conversation that's necessary to get good policy. There's a risk. I mean, there's something very appealing about saying, I'm going to get past party politics and get to the real answer. There's also a risk that that becomes a you know, cloak that can cover any answer. It can become a response to anything and avoid us really understanding even the nuance because all we hear is, well, I guess the problem is party politics. Let's get past that. What should we do with the Elliott Forest? What would you have done? You know, I don't have the absolute answer, but what I know I wouldn't do is completely lock it up and uh, avoid any harvesting. I think that the OSU plan had some really... Um, good things about it, and and I would be anxious to continue pursuing that OSU plan. The the um, guys that got together, the guys and gals that got together down there in the Leeds Court area, people like Kerry uh, Timchuk's brother, who uh, chaired that that group of folks that looked at the OSU plan, they really did give it a lot of thought, and they really did work to avoid avoid the polarization that that surrounded that issue. And frankly, I would agree uh, for the most part with their decisions. And what about Jordan Cove? Where do you? So I, I hear that part, and you would that would you might not be on the side of timber unity, but you would definitely not be in alignment with sort of the key environmental activists. Anything I should have asked you that I didn't? Well, <laughs> it, I, I I'm really hopeful that I get to the November election. I'm looking forward to that. Um, I, I've got some fun people that are willing to support me in this. Uh, I just had a really interesting conversation last night with Thomas Lauderdale, who has agreed to endorse me here. And, and uh, you know, Thomas is probably, Th- Thomas is a guy that lives downtown in a, in a loft with his partner. Um, I'm a guy who lives out on a farm with his uh, kids and grandkids. We probably couldn't be more different in how we live our lives and and frankly, how we see a lot of things. And yet he and I have found a tremendous amount of common ground. And I really look forward to running um, and, and helping people to understand that it is possible. We can get past the party politics, and there is a lot of common ground where we can get good work done. Rich Vile, candidate for Secretary of State. And by the way, I, uh, talking about fundamental transportation, uh, transformation of the system, love talking about that topic. I just want to make sure we don't keep it merely as a talking point. Rich Vile, thank you so much for taking the time. I hope we have a chance to do it again. Well, I look forward to it. Thanks, Jefferson, and best of luck with your show there. Be well. Thanks to Kate and Rich Vile for joining The Local, and thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown, in about 30 minutes. Again, we'd love your support of the work at X-Ray. There's just a few days left in the drive. Please become a member at 15 bucks a month. You'll get a cool new shirt or a record tote when you become a member. If you want to join in to the News and My Dad digital meeting we're having today, go ahead and email the local at xray.fm. 
And if you want to donate, x-ray.fm slash donate, or just go to the website and click the blue donate button. Or if you want to talk to a live human person, 503-233-9729, which is also 503-233-X-Ray. Again, rating and review really helps. Sharing it with friend helps a lot. We can be together while we're apart. Tomorrow we'll be back with the first candidate for House District 42, Paige Kreisman, and talk to you tomorrow. In the meantime, stay home, stay connected, and thank you, democracy.